Hi everyone, this is Jean-Marc. I am the creator of DataMesh, uh, the founder of Next Data. We are reimagining what data sharing could look like. We are growing our team rapidly and we need you. If you're a distributed systems engineer, if you're a product manager or designer of a large-scale PaaS SaaS infrastructure, please check out our page at nextdata.com and look at our open roles. We'd love to hear from you. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left DataStacks, you know, thanks for all their help in ha- founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Lessons from doing Data Mesh again, the Second Timers Club. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? Guest host Samia Rahman, Director of Enterprise Data Strategy, Architecture, and Governance at the Life Sciences Company, CGen, who is also guest of Episode 67, facilitated a discussion with Sheetal Pratik, who's the Director of Engineering and is leading the India Data Integration Platform at Adidas, who's guest of Episode 24, and Khan Chow, Director of Cloud Data Architecture at Granger and guest of episode 44. As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. The topic for this panel was a bit different with reflections from and learnings from doing a second or more data mesh implementation from a practitioner standpoint. It's people who have the experience to reflect back on multiple implementations to give advice to their past selves and those earlier in their journeys after seeing multiple organizations implementing data mesh up close. Khan was the leading data architect for Northern Trust's data mesh implementation before taking up the same role at Granger for their implementation. Cheetil was the head of data integration at Saxo Bank as part of their data mesh implementation before 
moving to Adidas, where she is leading the India data integration platforms and has played integration lead for moving, you know, an on-prem centralized integration platform to federated cloud integration platform. And Samia worked deeply on two implementations at ThoughtWorks, including one closely with Jamac before starting at CGen. As usual, I wanted to share my takeaways rather than trying to reflect the nuance of the panelists' views individually. There are These are only t- my top eight takeaways. There are 23 more in the show notes if you want to check that out. So my top takeaways. Number one, prepare to take many concepts from abstract to something, at least something concrete, and ex- you know, explain these concepts to many people repeatedly. And your definitions will change over time too. A big part of leading an implementation is about communication and keeping people on the same page and informed. Number two, similarly, prepare for confusion. People will go to different sources for information, including a lot of vendor content, to learn about data mesh. So keeping people aligned and understanding key aspects of data mesh are crucial. What is data mesh can be a dangerous and difficult question when it really shouldn't be. Number three, it's important to learn from other organizations' implementations, but your journey, if you are going for success and not simply copying, will be unique in, in what matters most when. It's easy to get overwhelming, overwhelmed trying to manage every aspect perfectly. So look to focus on learning and iterating along the way instead of getting it perfect up front. Stepping back and looking at the seven journeys across the, the panelists, they really don't look that similar from the actual kind of journey itself perspective, where they're trying to head to what they're trying to accomplish is the same, but they really don't look the same. And, you know, getting used to not having to have perfection is another aspect that's that's important in that kind of that point, that takeaway. Number four, when choosing which domain or domains to partner with, highest value or highest ROI can look like the most important metric, but really finding someone who is willing to take a risk and will also champion your solution when it succeeds is the most important. You do need to find use cases that have a reasonable return on investment, but having a true partner is the most important aspect to having success. Number five, data mesh isn't a solution to the business people. It really shouldn't be to the data people probably too. It's a way to address an ever-growing challenge and issue within the organization. The business people feel the pain. Talk to the pain. They don't care nearly as much about the how as you probably assume. Make them a tasty sausage, not give them a, a sausage factory tour. Number six, don't underestimate the fear of change and loss of control. Data mesh is a new approach, and many are sick of new data approaches, right? I think a lot of data people are too. But people's fear of getting left behind or not being in control is a natural human reaction. Make sure people understand how how this, how data mesh makes things better, not just for the organization, but also for them. Number seven, Defining data mesh success metrics at the macro level of data products and at the, or at the micro level of data products and at the macro level of the entire implementation, it's still very hard. That you know, I did put out a mesh musings on this, but it's still very hard. There are a lot of measures you can use that are helpful and and do look into fitness functions in general, but 
it will take some effort to find good success metrics. And those metrics will change over time. You don't say, this is our measuring stick for all time. And finally, number eight of my top, you know, takeaways. At some, as some past guests have also noted, a good way to drive buy-in for those actually doing the data work is to make it faster to produce data for themselves, not just, you know, produce data products for others. If you can make getting access to data and creating something useful for the data producing domain quicker, many will lean into leveraging the platform quickly. And so then you can get them to, you know, start to prepare data for other people as well, because they're happy with the platform they, and they want to, to kind of work with that. So again, there's 23 more in the, the show notes if you want to check those out. But um, I think you'll learn a lot um, from these reflections. I, I wanted to do this for a long time because the reflections on past implementations is a really helpful kind of lens to start looking at uh, data mesh and how you can be successful. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, welcome to the Data Mesh Radio. And today is um, our second timers club. Um, I have two wonderful people joining me from the industry. I would say my colleagues and friends, Sheetal Prathik and Khan Chow. Um, I'm Samia Rahman myself. I am the Director of Enterprise Data Strategy, Architecture and Governance at CGEN. And I had the opportunity to work with Jamak Dagani, the founder of Data Mesh, um, when the article first came out and started the first implementation of Data Mesh. Um, since then, I went on to do a second one. Um, these were both at ThoughtWorks. And then I joined uh, Seattle Genetics, now known as CGen, um, where I am also applying the principles. Um, Today's uh, talk is going to be focused on our multiple experiences and what we've learned along the way. And um, these are really our opinions and not that of our companies or where we work at. So with that, I'd like to introduce uh, Sheetal. Do you want to give us a quick intro about yourself and where you've been at and your implementations? Thank you, Samia, for having me as uh, the second timers uh, club in Data Mesh podcast. So I come across with 20 years of experience in data-related technologies across broad sectors, uh, including startups and large organizations like Oracle, Cold, Central, Emphasis, Geopayments Bank, and Saxo Bank. And during this time, I have led and architected products and platforms across data integrations, data governance, data cataloging, and data quality. I consider myself as a huge advocate of data mesh and federated data governance. Currently, I work as director engineering 
uh, data integrations at Adidas, and I'm the chapter lead for the India Data Platforms team. In my previous role as director of engineering, as a sort associate, in my previous role as associate director uh, data integrations at Saxo Bank, I got the opportunity to roll out uh, data mesh platforms, uh, data mesh oriented platforms, uh, which we call data workbench. And uh, that is where we got an opportunity to work with ThoughtWorks as well as Shamak to, to have the right concepts implemented. And that is it about me. Thank you. Khan, over to you. I know you're in the same city as me right now. It's early for us. A little bit about yourself and your uh, past implementations. Yeah, um, well, nice meeting both of you and thank you for uh, having me on this panel. Uh, it's my privilege to associate with wonderful folks who's been on this journey. I know it's a difficult journey for uh, many of us putting something so new, so innovative out there and try to co uh, contribute back to the community. Um, so I am currently implementing uh, a second uh, data mesh at a different company. Um, previously, we uh, uh, I was at an, a, fin uh, a financial company where I uh, started the first data mesh. I started with the whole changing how we think about data uh, as a product, uh, make it a first class citizen. So that was a lot of learning during that time as we put together not just the construct on how we do data mesh, but also the um, infrastructure and capabilities to do it. Um, similarly, when I go to a new company, I've been here only a year and a half. Um, very similar as a lot of education, a lot of abstract ideas has to be explained. And um, now we're in the implementation phase and there's more explanation as we go through the whole implementation as well. So I find it very gratifying to, to see uh, the fruit of our labor. So it's a community, many ideas has come together and helped me infuse them into this different organization and utilize our capabilities to do it. So as a director of data architecture and strategy, um, I'd like to leverage knowledge right, and share back to the communities. And hopefully this uh, kind of discussion here, um, not only for me to learn from everyone, but also to give back some of that. Thank you. Um, so I, I'll, I'll start off with a warm up question. Uh, Khan, you just mentioned you you have to introduce the topic um, or have had to introduce it in many of your implementations. Maybe for our audiences, how do you uh, off, uh, or how do you answer the question? What is data mesh um, and why use it? Um, just to uh, get that going. I, I think I get hit by that question many, many times, regardless of which implementation I've been on. Uh, so, would love to hear your uh, spiel on that. Yeah, um, you know, if in a perfect world, right? If we just take a MacBook and go out there, nobody has. We don't have Google. We don't have internet. I think it's going to be a lot simpler. But you know, people can Google, right? And and Google, and then they, they find out variations of the data mesh discussion. A lot of that sometimes is a very vendor-centric thinking, right? My product does data mesh. So so there's a lot of that um, reconciliation, right? How to take a, a data mesh idea, the four pillars, and then how do we go about and explain to everyone in a 
sequential way or maybe in uh, maybe take a couple of those and try to explain to them. So for example, if we start thinking about data products and governance, uh, maybe those two can go together before you can get to the self-service and federated uh, and, and, and established domain teams. Um, so in my first um, engagement, the very first time about three and a half years ago, where there's not a lot of you know, discussion on the internet in the Google and so on about the data mesh, uh, the approach we took then was here's the infrastructure that is self-service that enables you to start building data faster, uh, analytical data faster, and enable us to get to machine learning and doing all this BI and anal analytics to get the value out of it. Um, fast forward three years later, um, I go to a new organization. It become a very different story. You cannot just go and say build a infrastructure and implementation because it's really hard to say uh, go and invest a million dollars or two million dollars and just you can't get this result, right? So you have to start with the value proposition, and the value proposition has to start with something like data product thinking. Why that is it that we're not you know, if data is a second-class citizen, then you're going to be just focusing on building a um, variety of services that put the uh, data as uh, secondary, right? That people don't really think about how I can make data more interoperable, more discoverable, uh, how I can be more accountable for the data. So, so we want to kind of educate people to say, hey, you want to be accountable for the data you produce. You want to be making the data more easy to, to find and use and, and kind of democratize the data. All of those things are really hard, right, to change when you have a very centralized mindset, right? Decentralizing gives people accountability and ability to take on, hey, I can I can manage the, the data for you, so you just use it. Uh, it's a very different thinking. Uh, that takes a lot of... of um, massage, right? Messaging, a lot of meetings, a lot of discussion around that, that, and then, and then of course the, the governance come in as well, right? So how do you go about governing all this stuff and be more light touch versus a very centralized? So every organization is different. Every journey is different. Uh, my second journey is more about data product thinking than a self-service um, data platform. I don't know what you guys, um, have seen there. You you have been there several times. I I don't know if that uh, see the same thing, Shiro, from your perspective or Samia. That's is what I've seen so far from my side. Uh, yeah, can I think you've uh, made very valid points, and I'll just build upon that. Right. Uh, what I see is uh, the technology evolves, responding to business requirements and how the business is moving early when the technology started, right, and the need of data started, the systems were developed and maturing in silos because uh, not every organization across was stitched together in a mature way. So as the systems were isolated, they responded to the business in an isolated way with a different speed and therefore we had data isolation, which was working then. As the organization started maturing from a data perspective and digital perspective, this isolation became a handicap. And then we had more processes, tools and technology evolve to be able to get all these isolated systems together. And then we had a centralized system and we said, oh, we are all good and we can all manage and we have a complete end-to-end -end transparency. 
but then what happened is this this worked right absolutely well um and i'm like 20 years in the industry and i'm coming from a world where this was amazingly working okay but fast forward when your value chain in every business is getting more and more digitized the volume of data is exploding from from inside right it's just exploding and now the centralized team are becoming so big or the backlog is so big that it really takes a lot of time to respond to the business in terms of the complexity of data in terms of the volume of data in terms of the the specialization of the domain that is needed right so now we got to find another solution that is what is data mesh right so you you allow to be autonomous you allow to uh, push it down to the business while maintaining a central framework right not losing that end to end stitching and this right balance is what data mesh is right it's come to data world later than it came to microservices or devops right it just came to data world much later but at least it's there thank you sheetal um yeah this resonates a lot with me recently i got hit up with um what how is data mesh different and why not do data lakes cuz a lot of the c suites or leaders they're getting these fancy summary packs from different companies and there's discussions on data lakes and central warehouses i'm sure you've dealt with it and um myself and one of my uh, colleagues Gary Kretschmar had to respond to it and a really cool analogy came out which i'd love to share with you all it was um in a data lake a lake with bunch of boats uh, there are a bunch of boats on it nobody knows each other so uh sheetal you were just say- saying that everyone's in a silo doing their own thing but with data mesh and this new tenancy concept the social technical approach it's giving each boat a visible id so that we can all talk to each other lowering those silos and bringing us all together i thought it was really cool when that analogy came through from him and it also it was really um uh delightful to hear another colleague say it with that analogy and it resonated with some of these leaders um so i i see the shift happening in our space and more and more people understanding what data mesh is so with that i'd like to ask my next question because we're all second or third timers um and you've done this a few times and it's been different each time what advice would you give to people early in their journey or that haven't even started yet or even to yourself if you could go back in time how would you do it differently or maybe started yeah so uh so the the advice that i would give myself is don't underestimate the power and the championship that business can bring in right so obviously we associate all these initiatives or design or concepts with purely technology and we say oh we have the right tools but data mesh is actually about business transformation about the process transformation and coupled by right right technologies right supported by right technologies so the to to be concise uh, what i would do in my future uh, implementation so what i'm trying to also do is have the business started on this journey the moment the tech is started right so there is no sequential delays on the maturity or on the capitalizing the benefit of it right by the time your technology is ready the business and process transformation and alignment has also happened maybe can you can add to that right no that's beautiful i i second that and and by the way i'm going to steal that idea of that that uh, the the id for the lake thing that you mentioned somewhere that's that's a wonderful um, way to put it um you know as a second timer 
you have to reflect back on your experience, right? And and we learn more from failing than successes, I think, right? Um, and certainly there has been moments when you have doubts of how that's going to pan out. And and one of the things that I, I noticed that, um, you know, it's really hard, especially when um, it's around this time when you have uncertainty around the economy, whether you're going to go into recession or not, um, getting the right value proposition is even more um Amplify, right? Because you really have to really have that value proposition. So any ideas that we put out there uh, require a lot more um, building up. How, how do you build it up in such a way that you get sponsorship for long term, right? To do it, to commit through it. Um, then that message doesn't work if you just spend, you know, version 1.0 and stop spending. Right? You only have enough funding for it. You really have to have version 1.1 and 1.5 and to really to be able to keep it going. And I think that is the part that, um, you know, as a technologist, because I'm very hands-on, I, I think to think about technologies more, right? uh, solving that. Like, okay, data mesh, I can solve that with technologies. I think that would be a mistake to do that. I think it would be... Um, it's a mindset change, and you have to start with the business communities and show the value, and and show enough, right? Every time you build every iteration, you show enough so that you can enable uh, to get to that critical mass, right? To get enough data products to get it out there so that more people can use. Uh, I think that is a very um, challenging thing to do for technologists. Uh, you really have to partner with another. Uh, someone right uh, a group to to do that uh, someone that has business and strategy a lot more on that side to help you know bring it to the next level I, I think that's important to have the right partnership the right value proposition and to get the buy-in for long term so that's that's what I that's how I would do it differently so a common um, uh, or frequently asked questions or statements that I often hear is, well, that's still abstract. The details are missing. Um, I guess just stemming off of that business value proposition, right? How do you actually make that happen? Or how do you concretize that and make that from abstract to a reality? Okay, this is the business outcome these uh, or our investment is going to drive. Uh, what has your journey been or any advice if you've uh, struggled to even find that business outcome? Yeah, I, I can continue on that 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 thought um, because it's this this is very abstract concept if you really think about it, right? How do you go and implement decentralization, the domain, and all this stuff? So, one of the things that one of my colleagues did really well was, look, let's take a look at what we have built so far, and show the pain points, right? You know, you, you want this data. There's, we've been on three years journey and you'll get 150 data elements and only one group of, uh, within the company is using it. You have another team that does the same thing, but maybe produce only 50 da data elements and then there's two or three groups using that data. Now you have like almost a different source of truth, right? The same data built differently and you have you know different groups of people using it. Now you suddenly you have a data sprawling problem, right? Um, 
and and you can call it a decentralization approach, but you don't have people understanding the data. And now a third group coming in, and they want to build something set differently for for machine learning. And now you have to invest another, you know, additional funding to build something like that. So how do you go and articulate these different pipelines or different tracks of people doing things, and then you kind of uh, describe the cost of not only implementing it, but also support and maintaining those each of those three tracks. Um, it, the the numbers start showing, right? That oh, geez, you know, we suddenly have seven million dollars somewhere that we have to support all these three things every year. So that is very daunting, and I think people would start realizing that maybe there's a better way of doing things. So I think money follow the the money yeah. trail to be one way of doing it. Yeah, I've I, I think for me it's been uh, minimization of cost or minimization of duplicative work. I'm curious, Sheetal, um, what are uh, some of the abstract bits that have been hard to concretize for you? If it's in business space, or I know you did governance as well, a lot of uh, abs- abstraction there and ab- abstract thinking that you have to get to reality. Anything to add there? So uh, definitely, uh, you know what is important is a sponsorship, right? So that sponsorship is important, and then uh, deriving the exact. From my perspective, deriving, and I kind of uh, laid a lot of emphasis. I also attended one of Jamak's session to understand, and there is a fitness function, but it's very complicated to derive the business value right away or to get a sponsorship based on that, right? And I can a little bit lay my uh, opinion there. So there are two parts of it when you federate, right? So it's all about federation. You minimize the cost and optimize the execution on the central platform side, but you increase the cost on the product side and the business side. But both of this is good because when you minimize the cost on the platform side, obviously there is a very visible uh, projection of cost transparency and optimization of cost getting reduced, right? And this is going on every day. It's easier to do from the platform perspective. But the resistance that is coming is because there's some amount of increase that will come because every business will have to hire some amount of expert now, right? And go through some of the training. But that is more of a capex, right? And we have to understand that that's a worth investment. So there's a peak, but the long-term opex will come down your cash to concept to cash cycle will increase, your speed will increase and your cognitive load will be also optimized. And um, then adding on how to get started uh, in a more concrete way, I have always championed is not to do an paralysis of analysis, right? Get started with some confidence, a right championship with your champion partners. We also did that, right? So let's get started with a business domain, which is a high ROI, but that that's ideal situation but what what also happens a lot of time is in those business domains to to get a visible roi you might not get a championship right they might not be uh, eager to take risk or they might be resistant to partner with you because everything is going well so what is more important is yes target that but target a business partner who can champion who allows you to take risk and who has a vision and and trust on the technology from a long term perspective do a POC, gamify it, uh, showcase the value that is coming, and then iteratively scale across. 
I guess, um, yeah, that resonates a lot for me. Um, and I'm curious, I've seen some failure modes where it was, I want everything at the get-go and they, they put all the money in that self-serve platform and building all the data products that they can without really involving the business. Um, so uh, with with all your strategies to avoid that, I guess my next question to you both would be, what were the three things you worried about too much that were overblown or that caught you off guard in your first uh, implementations? Or anything that you overlooked, any lessons there? So I'll continue on my discussion, right? Because it just comes from there. Uh, first of all, being stuck, I was really stuck on, uh, because, you know, I was getting a pressure that, Oh, nobody knows this, what it is. I was talking to industry experts. Has anybody done it? Nobody had done it when we started. We just started in the year when the paper was out. Um, and the sponsorship was very, very difficult because you know everybody had used the centralized platform. You know how Colibra works. You know everything works. But, you know, we were and we were all up, up, all the game, right, in terms of adventuring and using open sources there. So uh, 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 some of the business partners in my first uh, few months they used to hang up the phone, right? I, we don't have anybody to support you. And that was frustrating. So I realized that it doesn't make, you don't have to get stuck. You just have to navigate. Don't get stuck on a strategy. Have a strategy. If it works, otherwise just navigate, right? And my first strategy was get a business partner and get a business data product, which has high ROI. So if I fix this, I can, I can show the saving. But I did not have the championship from the corresponding business partner. So, you know, I, I kind of realized sooner than later that I got to navigate and start speaking to a lot of business partners and find out the champion. So that's first learning. Second learning is it's also important when you're experimenting to have your technology at certain level of maturity. Because when you onboard your business and if you are not at least, uh, you know, securing your first data products and showing value and you're kind of failing with your technology, the trust is like boom again. Then you again are are shifted back like two years and you again have to start getting sponsorship, right? So have your technology, do your homework, uh, work with your CTOs and have your technology right at certain scale. Third is, it's very important also, as I said earlier, to also start onboarding businesses in pockets, right? So, you know, uh, one of the leadership strategy is start onboarding your leaders in pockets and sounding the importance of data mesh rather than selling data mesh, selling the problem that is happening because of centralizing and showcasing how the data driven expectations will increase because of uh, your data getting exploded sooner than later, right? So start selling the problem and uh, empath and, and you know empathizing the, the business and your leaders on what possibly might fix. That's awesome. Khan, I would love to hear your uh, things that were overblown or that worried you as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's things that we um, sometimes underestimate that everyone understands and has the buy in very right, from all levels, not just from the um, upper management, but your peer and the people underneath, uh, you know, working for you or working for your, your peers. Um, you know, sometimes people see the data mesh is a threat right? and i think we could underestimate that let's say that um you know we have legacy right every organization has legacy or heritage systems 
And these systems are very monolithic, very centralized, managed by someone. Going to a decentralization model would require um, them to start breaking it up and think differently. Um, if you have COBOL programs, uh, you know, that run a mainframe for the last two or three decades, how do you convince those folks to start, you know, DV up and hand over some of the data, right? You don't have the data, you don't have data products. You don't have ways to serve your constituents. So how do you go about convincing those in a way that this is, um, this is good, this is a better way of doing things? And yeah, there's some learning here, but it's going to be good for you. So how do you go about doing something like that better? Um, and when you start, like you say earlier, if you start thinking so big and say, hey, you can really solve this whole problem of pre-platforming something that we haven't been able to do for the last 20 and 30 years and think of data mesh is this, this you know, um, you know, knight in shiny armor that's going to go and solve this thing that we haven't been able to do. I think that would be a huge mistake, I think, uh, to really think that data mesh is going to solve something that you haven't been solved with, um, you know, some initiative data strategy within the company for the last 20, 30 years. So I think those are the, the areas that uh, we can overlook because we're just so busy explaining things and helping people and getting people excited about it. But there's a lot of people are not excited about it too, right? So how do you go about appealing to those as well and helping everyone uh, win together as a team? Um, sometimes people are very curious of what it is, but they don't really want to do it because there's learning, right? So it's um, very challenging. I don't know how to do it well, neither, right? You really need to get a lot of people in the company uh, to start thinking together and, and be productive together um, and and not just keep coming out and say, hey, I have a better technology over here that does this and it's going to solve off your problem, use data vault, use data lake, use all these different things. This is very... Um, diminishing returns if you start looking at technologies and and dealing with some of those those things um yeah it's, it's a challenging things to how do you there's so many ways to fail with any new ideas so yeah i'm curious if you guys faced uh, what i'm hearing con as you faced a, a or data mesh is seen as a threat and maybe also resistance from the technical system owners Across all three of my implementations, that's where I faced most of the resistance. The doers, they're like, okay, how is data mesh different? Because they've been used to centralized warehouses and data lakes for over, that's been their career, right? Sheetal, you've been in the industry for 20 years. So that mindset shift that, hey, there is uh, decentralized always triggers I've seen um, for folks like, oh, that's going to be expensive. Are you saying I need all this like uh, infrastructure for each department, et cetera, et cetera. I'm curious, Sheetal, how did you, um, ha having all this uh, experience, make that mindset shift? And what would you advise um, the technical folks who might be struggling to make that uh, shift in mindset? Yeah, so, you know, this is the biggest problem which might actually emotionally hit you, right? People who are supposed to be allies uh, sometimes get offended, right? And and people, so there's a lot of bureaucracy also involved. There's a resistance involved. Uh, the, the opportunity to lose the power is involved, right? But first of all, you got to have it right in your head, right? So that your conversations are accordingly aligned. 
and my CTO was very clear when we started this and he was like our priority is enhancing his platform team is enhancing the developer experience number one number two is faster uh, business outcomes number three is we are engineering teams and we are lean engineering teams fortunately my engagement in most of the organizations has been very lean budget right so i've always been under a lot of budget pressure right so you you'll not get a budget or you have to do in this budget so this has now if i look back this has shaped me up right and a data mesh allows me to have lean budget okay to operate because you are minimizing or optimizing the central team now if you have it right in your head then you start again iterating so you don't have to go very loud about it as i said you have to start your education journey partner with your uh, training academies and and start slowly having a mindset shift on the possible business problems that can come the possible technology problems can come but start onboarding your champions who actually understand it right easily and play it out with them uh, gamify award them on early adopters of the uh, of the technology and the best way is to have your stakeholders and business on board it as early as possible because that is how your voice is heard to cxos yeah i think connecting the technical folks to that business outcome or the business value prop is really really powerful because then they're like oh okay i the business is demanding this at least i've had to say Yes, Th this is not scaling, and there are twenty other businesses who want a piece of the centralized platform, but it's not scaling. How do you yeah. solve for it? Maybe I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll here, right? To give a little bit detail, uh, so suppose you got your first business partner; he's onboarded because he understands technology more than the others. So his partnering is allowing you to fail experiment, and because of that attitude, you've been able to successfully do one part, right? And maybe five data products that has started showing value. Then you gamify. he is awarded because he gets a visibility of trying something new and and deriving businesses uh, propositions that are going faster now now this behavior will onboard more of the business leaders okay and this you have to you have to make uh, or gamify the behavior and the leader so what happens is behavior starts getting uh, amplified now you have more business leaders Now, as more business leaders come and they prioritize it, they'll push it down to the technology team. Khan, any lessons from the trenches uh, dealing with technical resistance? Yeah, I, I think I, I just want to add um, some of the thing that um, Sheila talked about, and I think this is the part that I, I always thinking. You know, we we data mesh is a lot more about the analytic analytical space, right? How do we create data sets for analytical uses? But we don't want to forget the operational side because those are the partners upstream that can produce all these wonderful ingredients for us to build data products. So how do we get them involved as well? Um, you know, historically, when I work on data mesh in our last two or three projects, I kind of put that aside and say, okay, operational data. I mean, that is like a world by itself. There's so many things going on over there that is really hard to get. Uh, that explain the data mesh concept to that group, but I, you know, thinking more about it now, that is maybe we need to start spending more time upstream on the left side, on the operational side, to see how they can also contribute to it. Can we build data products a little bit further upstream so that we don't just 
go and have these new teams that go and collect data from those folks and then build a data products. Is that a better way of organizing ourselves around uh, some of the capabilities we have already? If we have those folks that know that data, understand it better, but they've been doing this with certain kind of technologies or certain kind of ways of doing things, maybe we need to go back there and work with them too. Um, so I, I think that's something that, you know, as you start realizing uh, in terms of the speed to market and being agile, uh, how do you, uh, have, really, have we really explore all the dif- different options, right? Take a look at the organization and start understanding more of where, um, how, where data has been, the story with data, where does it start and where does it end up? What is that journey? Is the technique still too long to do even with data mesh? Um, so those are the really frank and discussion that we have to have with ourselves, right? As we go through this journey, I mean, I would, even though we think this is a better way of doing things, but is it efficient? Is it meaningful for a lot of people? So yeah, there's a lot of reflection, right? Uh, on those things and how do we go about doing it? But, uh, definitely something I would start, I would be thinking more of how I would do, do it better next time. Yeah, can I'll just add here, right? I think you touched very uh, well upon the operations. Uh, you touched very well on the operations part. So there are two aspects to it. One is all of the questions that we are answering or the discussions we are happening is also around the culture of the organization, right? So data mesh is more of a framework, a concept, a design, which can be implemented in different way depending on the DNA of the organization, right? So I've like navigated also a couple of organizations and the formula will not work across. So you need to understand the DNA of the organizations, the motivations of the leaders there, and then accordingly navigate. Number two is, uh, one is the operational side and the other is the support side, right? Which which I've been able to figure out, right? So what happens is in the centralized platforms, you will centralize support team. So while you navigate one mountain and say that, okay, I have navigated the development part and federated it, how do you do the production support part, the support part? Because that's a tougher journey where it's actually very averse to any risk. Okay, so can you, because you know, it's like you build it, you run it, right? That the SRE uh, concept then again comes it. So if the product teams build it, will the product team run it? Building a development team is, is difficult, but it's less difficult than building a support team because it's a high risk on running a support function uh, in independently. Again, depending on the DNA of the organization, there are solutions to it, but it's a point to be considered and can be sought. Yeah, yeah, that, that enablement part, right? How do you enable people to leverage something that a development team has built, a data products, right? And enable and teach people how to use it and different ways to serve up the data products so people can use them. If if I never use Kafka and you, we serve up data products in Kafka, and that would be a problem for a consumer to do, right? So is there a, a other ways to serve up uh, the data products for people to use? Maybe a, API, maybe meet them where they are. Maybe they're still using file-based kind of things, right? How do we do those things? So I find that's really... Um, Building data products is the first step, right? But also, how do we serve and enable people to use your data products and and consume them in the way that you want them to consume, and also give them back feedback, right? This is not an area that that uh, Samia. I, I love to hear what you guys are thinking about is how do people feedback 
providing information so you can improve your data products better. What is the way to collaborate, right? Is there a, um, a platform, a system that has to be built to maybe a marketplace or something that people can go and say, hey, I, here's, here's my feedback to what I've seen so far, and this is really good, so that other people can go and say, yeah, that data product got, you know, 95% tomato, right? <laughs> that, that, that this is great, or maybe that's a 50%, it's really terrible with yeah. this, but you get this data very fresh. Uh, so the, the things like that, I think it's also important, right, to continue building up this ecosystem of data products for people to not only use them, but also improve what we have, right? How do we go about doing something like that? Um, is, is another important thing that is hard to, to create that stickiness, right? To get people to do, yeah. uh, use and provide feedback. Yeah, I'm curious. So uh, talking about some of the hard bits, right? So in data products, I think, um, uh, how do you define success metrics, right? And how do you get that Rotten Tomatoes score for your data product and the co total cost of ownership for that data product? I'm curious, what are the common metrics you've been seeing in um, that your product teams are setting for their data products with their customers and adopters in mind? So this is something, uh, Samya, this is work in progress, right? I don't know where Saxo Bank is today, but this is definitely something on cards that I was supposed to pick up after this initial adoption, right? And I know a lot of organizations are thinking about it because I keep having these uh, uh, discussions with some of the data, data leaders, right? And this is how the general approach looks like. I, I don't I don't know whether from the industry perspective we are there. But from all the discussions that were had and my initial plans were, you suppose the first level of KPIs to be sticking to your DAXIS principles. Okay, so you take all these DAXIS principles as your KPI and start scoring your data products as per that. Now, you can derive as per your DNA and culture of the organization. So if you're publishing a data product, it's discoverable and it's discoverable in where. So wherever you're publishing a data product, is it also integrated to a data cataloging tool where it is easily discoverable or you're still using some technical means like control center or lenses to discover it, right? So that is how your score can be. Is it interoperable, right? So how, uh, you know, general is its schema contract? How How is the schema contract? What are the, uh, you know, what are the uh, mechanisms you are using and how descriptive it is uh, so that it is interoperable? And then uh, again, that's just like how secure it is, right? Are the PII data being masked? Are you, you, you using the right masking mechanism when you are publishing your data product? So you find each of these DATSIS principles because that's published, the theory is acknowledged, and that could be definitely your KPIs based on which you score your data. Now, when your data product scoring is done, this can be used as a governance mechanism for leadership to define which domains are more matured and then again gamify those experiences. Also, it enables the consumers to be able to consume. So suppose the quality matrix is published and they know that, okay, these are the attributes I need and these attributes should be of good quality and they can see that, okay, these attributes are 90% and some attributes are 80% quality. Okay, these 80% quality, it's okay for me because in my business, I'm not like, really keyed for them but these matrices are key for me and they're 90% quality I can consume it right or I can reach back to the data product publisher so that should be good to get started as of now and let's see how we can evolve from there 
Yeah. Khan, any you've been focusing on data products. Any any metrics that have uh illuminated through your journey? Yeah, this that's again I, I agree with uh Shido that this is kind of um a new territory or still very immature. I, I don't really spend a lot of time on the governance side. I, I do enough and say this is what we need to have and let the team does its things, but getting metrics uh, is something that is challenging to for the team to do it. Um, hard to really measure it without enough usage, right? So so I think we're still in that early phase. Um, at least I think from what I've seen so far in discussion in the industry, we're trying to figure that out too. Um, but definitely it's not something I spent a lot of time in. Yeah. I, I'll just share a little bit of my nugget and uh, I'd love to hear if you guys end up adopting it. For me, it's become really the total data delivery time, which is, um, you know, it, 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 I, I haven't come up with a full calculator, but it's going to be factors of number of customers, usage time, et cetera, and the data quality. So the higher the data quality, the faster the business can get to their time. So data delivery time leads to business delivery time for their end product that they need to deliver. So that could be a business decision. Or if you're in biotech, we have to do a lot of submissions and do a lot of reporting with ver- various regulations, right? So it's like time to deliver that global transparency report. All of that, there's a whole process time. And what I've um, been able to do so far with, thankfully, to a lot of my business sponsors and a lot of name dropping, which works, I think, is like, hey, our executive sponsor said so. Can you give me your benchmarks? What? How much does it cost you today? And just encouraging folks to do share, even if it's six months or three months, you don't have to be precise. Give me your benchmark today so that we can estimate how can we shorten it at the end? Um, at least that's been my observation. It's in other spaces where it's still more ambiguous. It's hard because you're still early in the journey. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to see how this space evolves. Sheetal, did you want to add something to what I was just saying? So I agree to you because these conversations also triggered, right? In terms of, so there are two aspects to the scoring. One is the hygiene aspect because you need to encourage people to publish the right data products and reward them for that. Uh, so you need a hygiene scoring, first of all. And second is your data product maturity or scaling, where you know where factors like uh, how fast your data product has been published, right? how is your technology shaped up that you can publish it very quickly. Uh, second is uh, what is the adoption of your data product. Okay, so these are like data product maturity. So there are two levels of scoring. I think at one point of time, you can combine them, but when it also depends on the journey of, of your data mesh implementation. So our theme right now is the hard bit. I'm curious, um, how do you, one of the frequently asked questions or the hard bits I often encounter is the approach of governance. And while people are let, are all bought in on data, uh, data products, self-serve platforms, yes, great. How do you actually enable governance and especially with the times of many, many evolving regulations, privacy is a hot theme these days. Um, In your spaces, there's different types. In biotech, we are ripe with many, many regulations. So I'm curious on how do you start thinking about that and introducing that? um, And when do you introduce it? 
Yeah, I, I'm going to approach this a little bit from the technical side, right? Um, because governance at the end of the day has to do with a how to enable someone to use the guardrails that you put up there. And that's a part of the technologies involved. Otherwise, you have to do everything manually, I think. I think we need to have some enough automation in there to um, enable teams to uh, get things done faster. Um, you know, governance, uh, unfortunately, is seen as, as gates, right? Uh, people has to do these five things to pass these gates to publish the data products. Can we reduce that to two by automation? Um, and as technologies and software, depend on what you try to do, for example, if you want to ensure that the, the data quality is up to snuff and ensure that you have the SLA, uh, there are technologies that can help with that uh, to, to enable teams to to, over, uh, to spend less time uh, working, you know, doing a brute force approach. Uh, if we want to do something like enable publishing of the data into different channel, right, whether it's messaging or API uh, or in a marketplace, um, there are technologies to do that too. So how do we bring this whole ecosystem of technologies in such a way that is safe for people to do things and faster and meet all the uh, regulatory compliance, um, meaning that if your data has certain kind of sensitive data or PII, so how do you go about uh, obfuscation, right? And and also work on the entitlement, right? Uh, so that if if I'm a developer, I have certain access to the data, but I might not be able to see all this, you know, um, data has been encrypted. Um, data might be masked certain ways so that I cannot see it. But if I go into production, maybe I can get elevated so that I can troubleshoot problem, right? So I can see more of that. How do we go about doing that? well so that we don't spend a lot of time just you know chasing around talking to people and getting access to the data how do we use technologies to enable us to to do those things automating them and i think it's a very difficult problem i don't think we we, we could solve them with uh, one or two technologies we have to couple together a bunch of technologies depend on what tech stack you have right depend if you are let's say uh, you know certain kind of shops that use certain kind of technologies you have to find the right technologies that play well with each other with, with that primary tech that you have and, and enable you to do that. So I think I think governance is, is is good, but to be able to enable folks to do well, um, you have to have some kind of automation and integration of different technologies to do it. Otherwise it's gonna be just really hard to 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 get things out fast enough to meet the, uh, the needs of the emerging use cases. Yeah, and Sheetal, you started with one of the hardest principles that people were struggling to tackle. Uh, yeah, curious to hear um, how did you go about it? Any any reflections there? Yeah, so, uh, so I really agree with Ken, right? That the right technology is inevitable for making all of this happen, right? But what is also important is to be able to all all the tools and the technology is kind of uh, pieces of a puzzle and how do we fit them correctly uh, in a right sequence with the right operating model to be able to maximize and show the governance now let's understand by definition what is governance or data governance 
data governance by definition is good data quality but most of the people will relate it to quality directly right data cataloging and data uh, lineage right so these are principles are an ownership and all and also let's understand again and emphasize on my 20 years of experience in this field where i was doing quality like 15 years of back and what is the difference in the quality now 15 years back when i was definitely working in one of those isolated teams in which you know we were developing rules and using some tools to deliver the quality so life was tough but imagine right now doing the same thing right so when i'm trying to solve the gdpr of of organization or regulatory and you go back to that team and ask them to frame the rules will it work it will not work because now when you are talking about quality Uh, and this was my you know it it took some time for me to get this head around because the business teams will come from different departments and they knew that i'm hired to do this and they'll say you know what please give tell me how is the quality of my customer data and then some other business please tell me how is the quality of my this data and i kind of pondered and thought how do i fix this then i had this uh, enlightenment and and that was you know now i'm trying to solve quality for this platform across the organization right and how can i tell you how is your customer data how how good is your quality and i'll give a quick analogy and then i'll sum it up right so suppose uh, samia you've uh, you know bought a house right and you've decorated your house you bought your furniture and you have a red color sofa okay and you love it right and then i come and say you know what the sofa is very loud you should not have it I, it's it's a bad sofa you should buy a beige color sofa that's trendy and you tell me you know you have nothing to do with the cheetal i love it i i like vibrant colors i love it so you know this really converts into quality is very very specific to what the business wants right what is the percentage or the threshold that they think is a good quality for that attribute what is the uh, what are the parameters that they want to govern what are the parameters that they just don't care about so it's very business specific so you need a way to capture the quality rules directly from the business now how do you do that right because if you start doing the quality it will be a nightmare if you tell the business that you know let's tell me the rule now their quality is again at two level one is your derived and one is your uh, basic quality the basic quality level is at the data set level you defined your mandatory things right so Uh, my customer uh, rep cannot be empty and all right so that is a basic and then you can have derived quality rule that means you need your cataloging and schema contracts to be right so your cataloging has to be there if you want to do quality as a enterprise level that pushed me to solve the cataloging problem for the organization right to be able to do quality for the organization because if your cataloging is right you enable the business to publish the cataloging then your quality most of the quality rules are derived from there right and then some of the quality rules are technical quality rules and then some will be very business specific so that is how you enable your business to contribute to the quality and then you use the right levels of technologies and all to show the lineage across the system so you know this is a hard bit which i discovered but i i think i was able to discover and uh, sound it across the organization and get started on major initiative from zero budget to i had you know i could manage to roll out cataloging quality and governance and i think the platform is live yeah yeah um for those who haven't checked it out the article on federated data mesh and the videos uh from your case study at saxos pretty incredible i myself am leveraging it and 
Um, to me, I, I Khan, Khan, what you also sa- said, it's about enablement at the end of the day. So it's about, I think, the data product team experience, the business experience on time to comply or time to get to that, you know, delivering the data with that sufficient quality and them registering themselves in this catalog so that they're empowered. Uh, I think empowering here is very key. It's not really on us as governors to govern and like, you know, force it on you, but to empower you so that you are doing the right things for yourself and for your organization. Um, we, um, I, I'd love to, um, talk a little bit about the last um, hot topic that's in my head. Um, any observations on net to new opportunities as you're delivering these data products? There are many, many data products, many, many business domains. Are you seeing any interoperability or cross-domain opportunities or enablement for AI and ML use cases? Uh, curious on your reflections or experiences recently. You, you cannot really go to a meeting without someone talk about generative AI these days, right? So I wonder, hey, you know, maybe there's a, a, a card in play here for data mesh. Is there a way for us someday utilize some of this AI to enable us maybe document something better, maybe surfacing this knowledge in such a way that you don't have to go about, you know, assemble them together manually? Um, data products at the end of the day is still a lot of uh, work right on the team, the decentralized team to do. But can you start at some point leverage some of this AI cap- capabilities to help uh, propel people to use data product better? Maybe understand their patterns of usage so that you can improve and feedback into what you're doing. Some of the stuff that she don't just talk about, right? Just the mappings of things like. If you don't like color red and you want a sunrise red, you know, well, that can happen too, right? How do you enable people to uh, use the data the way they want to use it without go back to the product team to have them fix the data so that you can use it? Um, I, I wonder there's maybe certain bridges, certain capabilities that enable us to build data products smarter with more intelligence. Um, I think the next few years going to be really interesting in that space. Maybe there's a fusion of some of this stuff to enable data mesh to go to the next level to really kind of, you know, the evolution of it going to be um, really uh, make, actually really, you know, uh, get get it to the point that really fulfill its promise, right? There's a, a better way of doing things. And I think it's going to be interesting to, to, to think about AI in that sense. Yeah, so maybe... Uh, can I can add to that, right? Uh, for me, I think it's like we have discovered an island that is habitable. But now is an opportunity to make it habitable, right? And there's so much of work left. And let's start uh, the adopt. So let's let's think about Amazon, right? I keep on giving this analogy of Amazon everywhere. Uh, suppose you are logging on to Amazon where you want to search for a product and you only get five shirts available there. Will you log on again? You will not. The, the worth of Amazon as a, a website is only because you can find everything. So all the producers can produce and all. The, so it's, it's worth comes from the scale. Similarly, the data mesh uh, worth will come from the scale of adoption. That means a lot of data products being pr- pr- produced and consumed seamlessly. The more data products, the more consumability increase. To do that, 
you need to increase the adoption and help everybody move away from the uh, resistance that people are sitting in, right? And how do you do that? You need to gamify it. How do you gamify? Unless you govern, you cannot gamify. So governance and what we spoke about, right? The KPI measurement, the fitness function, the delivery speed. The governance is now as a next step, a must after getting it off the shelf, right? Because that will help gamify, that will help adoption, that will help actually making a, this concept work, right? Before people keep on floating around that it's not working anymore. And my second thing is, uh, a lot of AI can be used is the cataloging. So as I said, quality comes from cataloging. And cataloging, um, so when we talk about interoperability, we don't only talk about interoperability within the organization. It's also across the organizations, right? So finance, uh, settlements moving from one organization to the other organization. And that's again a ma major challenge because the account definition in one organization is different from account definition. So that is where we refer to the standard business relevant standard ontologies like FIBO for, for finance and then every industry has it and pharmaceuticals also have it. So how do you re relate your, uh, you know, your local catalog to your business catalogs, right? So automatically derive and inherit those attributes and your, so if anything is PII in your business ontology, that should be inherited. And if it is PII, your masking solution should apply automatically on that, right? And if your masking solution, then you also have your quality. Enough. So there's a lot of scope for AI and ML to be done that. I think a lot of good tools have already done it. Uh, but they've done it in their own way. And does it work for the organizations? Uh, that has to be seen. And obviously, as Khan said, generative AI. Let's see, you know, how how we can use that to take this to le next level. Maybe all these discussions after two years is irrelevant because it has some different solution to what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, for me, I've been observing, I, I recently did a it's uh, historically been known as master data management. I do not like the word master, even GitHub has retired it, right? We're redefining it as core data management. That's where I really truly got to experience interoperability. And I saw those silos across the businesses kind of break down. Um, and and uh, uh, Scott has talked to one of my colleagues on this topic, but that's where I see um, cross-domain opportunities happening in biotech where hey, you have this really well-curated enterprise data. I want to adopt it in multiple parts of the business because it impacts the overall value chain for the business, right? And then in the less ambiguous spaces where we don't have ontologies, that is also happening because if you're in like research and development and life sciences, you want to pull forward downstream data to make earlier predictions. So it's not just about using AI and ML within our data products, but also empowering the data scientists and those, uh, I call them the super users or the domain experts, them really seeing, and I, I see that shift happening because now they see the data in one place and they're like, hey, I can predict um, in, in, in biotech that next molecule or the toxicology, et cetera. And that's where I'm going to lose my credibility. But those are the words I hear from the domain experts. Hey, if, if how cool would it be if I got that data? And that's where I see that social interoperability emerging and that shift happening where we are trying to do more AI and ML now because we have well curated data products, right? Trustworthy data products. Um, so those, and, and I see 
a shift in the industry of even wanting to hire people who can do cross-domain stuff. It's getting more complex, right? Um, with that, I'll ask, um, I, I guess, a rapid-fire question. What's your prediction for the next couple of years with Data Mesh? Who wants to go first? Well, Data Mesh is here to stay, right? I think the, the, the number of adoptions, um, you start seeing first and second generations um, and I think the technology vendor is going to start helping shape some of that too in a very good way. Um, I, I think um, in the next two or three years, data mesh going to be uh, a common people. I think people going to start moving away from the traditional way of doing things and, uh, you know, using say data modeling, right? I think that would be a secondary thing. That'll be underneath, would be abstract away. But how do we go about doing data mesh? Uh, very similar. How do we do CI/CD? How do, do we do DevOps better? I think data mesh can be a much more uh, a force at play for a lot of organizations want to be able to make your your data available for use for analytics to do all these things that you really want to do. Um, without that capability, I think organization can be falling behind doing the old ways and. Um, maybe even more expensive. So it's, it's worth to keep an eye on it uh, if someone hasn't done it. But if you've done it already, don't give up, right? Keep keep doing it because I think the uh, the fruit of labor will be there. Sheetal, what's your prediction? So uh, my prediction and my aspiration always has been, uh, right, is uh, the, the outcome of the data mesh implementation, whether it is a URL or whether it is a marketplace for the organization or whether it is a governance solution, is an outcome that every organization has. That means there are data products published which are publishable and consumable, right? So can we able, uh, uh, you know, is my technology and the operating model and the DevOps uh, uh, processes streamlined to a level that there is a seamless publishing of the data products, right? There's a seamless publishing click of, maybe we use some low-code platform, you know, click little and then you publish, right, for what, whatever you have. And you can consume, right, uh, seamlessly. But beyond that, the real aspiration is every developer in the organization has that URL solution open 24 by 7 on one of the tabs like Google, right? So I, I cannot imagine that we are not using Google in any hour of our work. And so we're using every hour at least multiple times. If we get there that, you know, I need account, I need account details, I need customer details, I need customer, I need uh, product details, I need product insights, you know, I just search, I get all the details, click, 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 I consume. So if it is open in my machine 24 by 7, then probably I'm there. That's, that's awesome. I uh, look forward to that happening to both your uh, predictions. Um, and with that, I will uh, end our call. Uh, thank you for having this awesome discussion. I loved learning from both of you and reflecting on all our shared troubles and trenches and stories. And um, hopefully there's more of our predictions coming to reality. Thanks, Amir. This is a great conversation. And Shido. Yeah, thanks, uh, Khan and Samia. I also learned a lot about the other side of the world still. I'd again like to thank the participants today. Guest host Samia Rahman, who's the Director of Enterprise Data Strategy, Architecture, and Governance at the life sciences company CGen, and guest of episode number 67, who facilitated the discussion again with Sheetal Pratik, who's the Director of Engineering for Data Integration at Adidas, 
and guest of episode 24, and Khan Chow, who's the director of cloud data architecture at Granger and guest of episode 44. As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. You can find a link to their LinkedIn's and some of the content that Sheetal has put out in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.